Uh, we will look here very briefly, because there is food cooking, at Acts chapter 10. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and flip over there. It's a great chapter because it has a lot about food in it, <laughs> and some about faith as well. But this is a very interesting chapter. If you're, if you're familiar, or maybe you're not familiar, I'll give you a little background on this chapter. Uh, it's a significant chapter. For the history of Christianity leading up to this chapter, uh, all the conversions by and large, uh, all the major characters, major players are all Jewish. Uh, and anyone here Jewish? No. But here comes on the scene this man named Cornelius. Cornelius will be one of the first significant Gentile conversions. Uh, and he'll, you know, his conversion will mark a turning point. Right? But it's an interesting chapter because in some sense the chapter is not, as we're going to discover here, just about Cornelius and his conversion. It's also a fair bit about Peter and his conversion. Peter had some cultural perspectives, some, some racial ideas uh, that in many ways was hindering Christianity's created intent, which was to spread into the nations. Uh, and so as we look at this text, we're going to look at these two characters. Uh, you know, you can't get much more Jewish than Peter. And in reality, you can't get much more Gentile than Cornelius. Cornelius, as we'll discover, is uh, you know, living in Caesarea, which is a, is a, is a city in, obviously built to honor Caesar. Caesar. See, this is so smart. Right? <laughs> and he's not just living in there. He's a, he's a centurion. So he's in charge. You know, he's part of the Italian regiment, which was about 600 men. And you know, those regiments were divided into six groups. And over each of those hundreds was put a centurion. And so that's, that's who Cornelius is, right? Uh, and so let's look at this text, at the conversion of these two guys uh, as we discover the ideas of food and faith. Amen? And you'll see why food in a second. But then, of course, it's not really about food. You'll figure that out. All right, let's read here, starting in chapter, chapter 10 of Acts, verse 1. And we'll read, we'll read the entire chapter here. It says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. He answered, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet uh, being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. 
While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, a centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. But they heard them speaking in, in languages and praising God. Amen. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Amen. You know, it's a great chapter, and it's not just you know, one chapter, we could go on and read chapter 11, where in some sense the story is completely replayed again. Uh, but you get the gist. You get the gist of what's happening here. And we see in this text, you know, there is a fair bit in there about food. Uh, there's obviously a fair bit in there about the faith. And so let's look at those two things very quickly. Because much like Peter up on the house, uh, some of us are hungry and we're waiting for the food to be prepared. Amen. Uh, and so let's look here first at food. All right. Let's look here, you know, first at food. You know, you have this, for, for most of us, it's a, it's a strange scene. I mean, Peter falls into this trance and he has this vision and there's this huge sheet or sail being let down. And inside that sail is all these different kinds of animals, right? Uh, you know, and they're all mixing together and you get this cryptic message 
uh, you know, where Peter is, is, is told to kill and eat, right? Which, you know, for those of us who are, who are not vegetarians, it's, a lot of times we read that and we think, hey, man, there's a command, eat all types of meat, right? <laughs> Whether clean or unclean. Uh, you know, when I lived in South Florida, uh, the, uh, the Mexican population there loved eating alligator and making nuggets out of it. Uh, you know, and I was like, man, is that... Is that a good idea? And they would, they would often say, well, Jesus told Peter, kill and eat uh, as a justification. But it's an interesting thing, and I'm not sure, you know, it, it's probably not correct that it's a dig at vegetarianism, amen, uh, for those who maybe are, are vegetables, right? You know, but, but there is an interesting, you know, there's an interesting play happening here. I, three times Peter is told, kill and eat. Peter looked at that and he saw that there's clean animals in there according to the you know, Levitical code given to God's people you know, at Sinai, but there's also unclean animals. Right? Uh, you know, and three times that scene unfolds. Kill and eat, Peter? No, I wouldn't do that. Don't call anything impure or unclean. Right? Now, again, there's a debate about what it means, you know, but, but by and large, I, I, I agree with this one commentator I found named Rob Roy, and he, he says he thinks one of the main points is the detail that's given in that vision that, that it's being let down by four corners. If you let a, a sail or a sheet down by four corners, everything that's inside ends up jumbled up, mingling together. And for Peter, in his Jewish mentality, especially in Peter's day, it was all about separation. Right? If you read the Gospels, you discover that really quickly. Right? Uh, there was a very strict group of, of Jewish followers, the, the Pharisees, and they went to great lengths to never have physical contact with anything or anyone that would potentially make them unclean. And here's Peter seeing a sheep being let down, cleaning unclean animals, and they're all mixing, and they're all on top of each other. How does he know that, that, the, that the lamb he's going to eat hasn't touched the, the, the alligator that he's not supposed to eat? How does he know he doesn't know? And so that's why Peter's very different. No, no way, I'm eating any of that. No idea to know. But God is pushing back on not the law, but the Jewish people's understanding of the law. Food is an interesting thing. Food is much like language. It is something that often divides mankind. And for the Jewish people today, it was a big thing. Right? And you know it's really all about food, Right? And it's not just about food, it's about food in a Gentile's house, right? If you read on to chapter 11, you know, Peter goes back and there's a bit of an inquisition on Peter, like, you know, some, some you know, snitches went and, you know, they went back to the Jewish believers and they said, hey, you know, Peter and these other guys, they ate in the house of the Gentiles. That's what they were upset about, right? If you ever find yourself in that kind of scenario, you know, maybe you had to look in the mirror and, and think about things, right? But they go back and they, 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 they snitch on Peter. And the issue is not necessarily Peter eating with Gentiles because when the Gentiles come to Simon the Tanner's house and Peter is there, they welcome him in. But all the food that would be prepared there at Simon the Tanner's house would be kosher. But Peter going into the Gentiles' house, there's no way any of that's kosher. There's no way any of that's going to be, going to be uh, prepared in the correct way. And so the Jews of his day would never do that. Again, there were restrictions around food, but what did they do? They took it a step further. And they applied it to the people. And so these divisions would remain. These barriers to the gospel doing what it was meant to spread. You know, and you see, 
A lot of discussion about food here throughout our text. But the reality is, as you go through this and you see, you know, the various things about food happening, uh, you, you realize it's not really about food, though, is it? It's about a posture of heart, proud of being beautiful or smart or talented. They're only proud at being more talented or ne- more beautiful than the next person. Right? For the Jewish people, again, this is what happened. They've been given these laws. They've been given these commands. They saw themselves as they rightly should as God's chosen people. But it began to be a comparison game. And their identity began to be connected to it. And instead of being what they were meant to be to help people, it actually turned them away from people. Now the reality is we've got to look at ourselves. That's not just a Jewish person problem. That's a mankind problem. It's a condition of our heart. That's what all of our hearts do in various ways. You know, we take things and we make them ultimate things. We take our differences and we begin to view ourselves in those differences as superior to others, which creates more divisions. But what happens is, is the reality is we can tell ourselves that we're awesome, but then we see someone else and they maybe have successes. Uh, you know, and I grew up in North Carolina, played a lot of soccer, uh, and before I knew it, you know, better than a lot of the people around me, and, you know, I began to feel very proud of that, very, very cocky, very full of pride, became to be my identity, and, 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 I've, and, and, and I put a lot of my self-esteem in that, my superiority against my peers. And then I moved to a boarding school that gathered all good soccer players from around the country. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> And I was better than them. <laughs> I wasn't better than them. And it was a big slice of humble pie. Big slice of humble pie. To realize, you know what? Yeah, I was a big fish in a small pond. Now I'm in a big pond and I'm a very small fish. But a lot of times if we just stay in our own little bubble or echo chamber, we never realize. I've not cornered the world's ideas on this topic. You know what I mean? And we... we the, destroys and, 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 and pops that bubble of pride that so easily grows in our hearts. And it's good for us because it forces us to have a humble posture. And the reality is, there is nothing in this world, moving around, you can move around, like I, I've done a fair bit, that will help your pride. But the greatest cure to your pride is the gospel. The greatest cure to mankind's problems, the core problems of the human heart, is always going to be God. And you look was still working behind the scenes in his life. You know, the second thing is this reality that God works through people. Peter has a vision. Cornelius gets sent an angel. And yet, all of that, is ultimately about getting two people, flesh and blood, face to face. I mean, why not just have the angel preach the gospel? Why involve people? I think there's something very valuable in that. I think a lot of times, you know, maybe if you've had a rough time with religion, maybe you've hung out with a self-righteous, prideful, religious person, you can get very anti-church. And a lot of that sentiment is correctly founded. You've got to be careful that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And to make sure that you don't toss away something that's incredibly vital because you had a bad experience. Because God goes to great lengths to get two people 
to sit down. Two people from very different cultures to come face to face and join together and learn and live with one another. God works through people. And this is true in history. Some of the great uh, you know, transformative moments in history, especially when you consider barriers to, you know, like we're talking about here in this text of race, it comes through people. You know, one of the, I read a book recently by this guy, Eric Metaxas, which is, he's a great writer. If you want to read up on him, very, very good writer, very smart man. And he writes a book, you know, I think he writes two books, uh, Seven Men and Their Secret to Greatness, and he writes one, Seven Women and the Secret to Their Greatness. And one of the men that he, he focuses in on uh, in that book is Jackie Robinson. Which baseball is not massively, you know. If we were doing this in America, it wouldn't on, be Essendon Bombers jerseys. There would be, there would be uh, baseball jerseys, right? Uh, and if you're not familiar with, you know, American history and specifically baseball, uh, it was a segregated sport, right? And it took a man named Ricky, who was the manager of the Dodgers, uh, and a man named Jackie Robinson, who was a phenomenal player, to shatter that. Now you can read, you know, I think they've made movies about it documentaries, I think there's even like a multi-TV series. Uh, but you know what they all leave out? A crucial detail. Both of these men were devout Christians. Both of these men did the things they did because of their faith. You know, Ricky, as the, as the manager of the Dodgers, looked at the segregated world and thought, this is, cr- this is crazy. And as he began to plot and make decisions on how to dismantle that, He began to find a player suitable for that. But he didn't just look for a player that had tremendous ability athletically. He specifically looked for someone who had faith. Because he knew the baptism of fire that that player would go through would require a strength of character that only comes from following God. And if you know the story of Jackie Robinson, you know he had that. You know, Jackie Robinson wasn't massive. You don't find heaps of great quotes about his faith or anything like that. But the testimony of his life was incredibly impactful. You know, his teammates tell a story about one of the first games that he played in. And the opposing team was heckling him with racial slurs constantly. And yet Jackie Robinson didn't react. He followed Jesus. He turned the other cheek. And that happened so much in that first game alone that his teammates began to defend him. His example and the stellar Christian character that he embodied inspired others to shatter the very walls that he was shattering, to destroy the barriers. But again, it wouldn't have happened independent of the thing. You know, and there's so many stories like that, but God works through people because I think there's something about people's example that shakes us. You can sit and read the Bible all day long all by yourself, but when you sit in front of someone who lives it, lives it out, day in and day out, that's a heck of a lot more confronting. Because it's not just theory. It's practically in your face, in front of you, and much harder to ignore. You know, thirdly here, oh, sorry, this picture Jack Robinson and Ricky. All right, thirdly here, what do we see? This interaction is a big... I mean, the vast majority of the conflicts that rage in the world, both internationally, globally, and just simply locally and within your own family, one of the core things is the need for forgiveness. But again, we'll never have the power to forgive unless we first grasp the reality of our need for forgiveness. We'll never be able to really forgive people and be healed from the misery that is bitterness until we've learned to really be forgiven before God. And if we have been forgiven before God, that is greater weight than 
to make sure we're extending that forgiveness beyond to others, forgiving as we have been forgiven. Amen. Sixthly, what do we see here about faith? My iPad's no longer advancing. I could text you, Sam, but I don't have my phone, right? This chapter closes out with Cornelius being baptized, him and his whole household being baptized. You know, and the, the, the interesting thing, again, if you read chapter, chapter 11, uh, they liken this event that occurs here in chapter 10 all the way back to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached to the Jewish audience uh, and told them the message about Jesus, and he appealed to them to repent, to be baptized. And it says those who accepted this message were baptized, right? But one of the warnings that Peter gives at the very end of that of chapter 2 is for them to save this, themselves from this corrupt generation and then be added in to God's family. But so often we have these, like I was talking about earlier, we have these uh, cultural and, and, and racial uh, ideas that we cling to and that we attach them to our core identity. And they become a source for us to feed our, our, our self-esteem. But, but one of the central things that happens in Christianity is that of being baptized. And when you're baptized, you are baptized into the body of Christ. And within the body of Christ, there is this incredible unity. All the divisions that the world has, they're destroyed. Because we all are the same. We're all sinners. We're all saved by the same faith in Jesus. And we all live and breathe by grace and grace alone. And baptism is that incorporation into that. We see Cornelius and all of his household being these first massive influx of Gentile converts. And that process will just continue on and on as the book of Acts goes. And again, all of us are sitting here today as non-Jewish people because that process has continued. Right? Those divisions started with something as simple as food. <laughs> something as simple as food. Some food laws that were given that over time have been altered and changed and heightened to the point that they began to cause barriers. But Christianity shatters those barriers because it helps us to face God. And as we restore that vertical, man, we heal the horizontal. And as we heal the horizontal, man, we can have phenomenal diversity, which we have here, which is an awesome, awesome thing. And so as we enjoy some food today, I encourage, encourage you to think deeper about food. Try something you normally wouldn't try. Right? For me, it's not just going to be the corn dogs, right? Which you're probably thinking, what in the world? There's worse American dishes we could have brought, right? Or the cheesy tater tots or the macaroni and cheese, all the healthy stuff coming from America. It's not about food, though, is it? It's about something deeper, right? And if we deal with that deeper thing with God, man, we can have a great harmony in our community. Amen. Let's have a prayer and it will stand, or no, we'll watch a mystery. Hopefully it's a good surprise. Amen. Let's have a prayer. Let's pray for the surprise. Uh, Father, we, uh, we thank you that we can, you know, obviously look at a text here that does challenge us on many levels, God. We do pray, God. We, we pray that, that, that we, as your people, uh, can be a light to the world, God. That we can have a diversity, God, that, that transcends anything we could manufacture in ourselves, God. That we can uh, learn to love one another deeply and accept one another deeply and, and not allow the many things that the world allows to divide us, God, but instead to be united under you, God. And we pray to you, help us, God. Help us to guard and protect our hearts. To not allow our hearts to worship anything other than you, God. To not get caught in the comparison game, but rather to cling to you and to you alone, God. And we know that when we do that, Father, all those barriers, all those divisions, they melt away. As we realize we're all the same, your children, 
precious in your sight, God. Again, we thank you for this time we can have together, God, where we do share great food and great fellowship. We ask so in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.